Turning Point Coaching and Consulting presents Kairos Conversations, Connecting with Quality, the podcast. Kairos is Greek for the right time, the right season, and the right opportunity. This podcast features healthcare quality professionals who share their journeys, their advice, their struggles, how they made that transition into a new and exciting role. My heart's desire is that you find this podcast to be inspirational to you as you make your own journey. Don't forget to share this podcast with your colleagues and friends and rate us on whichever podcast platform you listen to. Thank you for being here. Today, I am here with my next guest, Kate Kozart who is a pharmacist, a doctor of pharmacy, so a PharmD. Thank you so much for being here, Kate. Thank you for having me. Very, very excited. Well, I am super excited to talk to you because you are a rock star in my book, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself in just a moment. But I love what you're doing for the healthcare community, and I love the impact that you're having. And I just think that more and more people need to hear your voice hear what you have to say. And um, you have such a gift that needs to be shared with the world. So anyway, go ahead and tell the audience about yourself. Well, thank you so much for those kind words, first of all. I'm Kate Cozart, uh, and I have a lot of different roles. I am a pharmacist and an author and an educator. And I I just love to teach and speak and write. And well-being is something that I'm very, very passionate about. And so I talk about a lot of well-being topics like compassion and burnout and psychological safety and imposter syndrome. Um, and in the space outside of direct patient care, you may see me um, using the Resilient PharmD as my username on different platforms. Okay. Well, very cool. So I want to hear your story and what got you to this point today. Okay. Well, so I grew up on a farm in Alabama, had no intent on ever being in the healthcare space. I went through college, became a high school teacher, and it was very much a matter of luck that a pharmacy school actually opened about 30 minutes away from where I was teaching high school chemistry. And so it was very much just something that fell into my lap. And once I went down that road, I realized that there's a lot of good that I could do for patients in the space as an ambulatory care pharmacist. So that's what I've been doing for several years. And then a couple of years ago, I started really speaking and, um, doing a lot of writing on different national platforms. And then as of this year, have published um, the first book that I co-authored talking about some of the well-being topics that I'm so passionate about. So it's a very interesting winding journey that got me to the point of that today. I didn't realize that it was a second, that pharmacy was a second career for you. It was, yeah. I never thought I would leave teaching until a few friends convinced me to go to take the PCAP on a whim. After we found out that there was a school, the head just like just opened down the road. <laughs> <laughs> so the chemistry background really helped with pharmacy then. Oh, very much, very much. Um, in undergrad, I'd actually been like a tutor for all of the the pre med and pre pharmacy uh, people in my kind of cohorts because I was planning on teaching the whole time. So of course I'm like, oh, 
physical chemistry? Sure. You want me to hold a study session for that? Um, I'm a nerd and I loved it. And then eventually ended up making my way back to that space myself. So with so many people um, leaving healthcare for a lot of reasons, and some of them very good reasons, burnout and lots of things, what keeps you in healthcare? So when I think about what keeps me in healthcare, it's very similar to what I said once when someone asked me what keeps me in the VA. Um, I believe that patients deserve the best care. And I want to be part of changing the way that we practice, the way that the VA is viewed. And I want to be the same thing when it comes to healthcare as a whole. I want to be part of making healthcare better and changing the way that healthcare is viewed and the way that healthcare is practiced. So what do you think are the challenges or barriers that you're seeing as boots on the ground, um, either in your sphere or the broader healthcare system that we really need to um, change? There's a lot of things that I could say to this answer, but one of the the biggest that I've done a lot of research on lately is the idea of compassion in medicine. Because when we are compassionate providers, we make ourselves better and we better the space for the patient. And so I think if there was one thing I had to say, like, this is the thing that I really, really want to help change right now. It's letting patients see that this one provider is going to take the time and take the compassionate route and have empathy for them when the majority of us feel like we have that 15 or 30 minutes. And then it's like, I know you had more questions, but I have more patients. So you'll have to make another appointment for that. I know that that's very much the general picture of what medicine is right now. And I'm breaking that. I'm breaking the barrier of feeling like I have to stay within my confines of time because sometimes that's not the right thing to do. So how do you do that? I mean, does that make you fall behind with your patients? Do you, do you schedule less patients in a day, like on a practical day by day? Because I hear this a lot and, and I'm a physical therapist by background, so I've experienced it too. How do we find the time to give that extra time that we want to give and that the patient needs? So there are two things that I think are really important in answering that question. One is the practical answer of, I take longer and if I run behind, I run behind. There's typically going to be patients in your day that either don't show up or don't need the full amount of time that they're booked for. And so typically I can stay fairly on top of things from that aspect. But I also absolutely love the fact that there's research out there that shows that for a patient to feel your compassion, it literally only takes seconds of your undivided compassionate attention. So even if it's not that you're going to spend a longer appointment, maybe it's just that your appointment is a little more engaged or maybe you're not trying to chart it all while you're sitting with them so that they feel like they're important and not losing your focus to the screen in front of you. Oh, that's really good. I didn't realize it only takes seconds. Yeah, there's some really, really um, good research. Stephen Terziak uh, is one of the people that is one of the leading researchers in the area of compassion. And I hope that if you have not heard of him, that you look him up. Um, excellent research. He posts lots of great videos related to compassion in medicine as well. Well, I'd love to get that link from you in the name so I can um, post it for the audience to be able to check that out too. But I know you do a lot of work, not only with compassion, but with imposter syndrome. 
And that's a phrase that gets thrown around so much. So I'd really like if you could explain what that is and what it really what it really means on a practical level. Absolutely. And I will tell you from the get go, as I talk about this, there is kind of a disconnect in the way that we use the verbiage. Right. So the original researcher, she uses the term imposter phenomenon. And so I use the terms interchangeably because I do think the general public says imposter syndrome more often. Um, But I at least want to say imposter phenomenon may be a slightly more correct term because in that research, they talked about how this is not really a syndrome in the medical sense of the word. It's not a disorder, but it is something that we see and observe and feel. So a phenomenon is probably a little more accurate when it comes to the wording. But the idea is that it involves thoughts that you're not good enough or you're just faking it through what you're going through to qualify as being imposter phenomenon or imposter syndrome. You're really looking at thoughts that are pervasive, thoughts that are holding you back from reaching your full potential. And so as you're thinking about whether or not you have this imposter phenomenon or just a little bit of anxiety, those are two great questions to ask. You know, is this something that is a constant and is it something that's actually holding you back from what you could be capable of? So why do we experience that? What what causes that? So I absolutely love the process surrounding something called the cycle of imposters. Um, And this is something that I read from Dr. Jennifer Hunt's book um, that she wrote. It's called Unlocking the Authentic Self. And it was actually a book that changed a lot of the way that I viewed myself when I was in that process of trying to bring myself out of it myself. Um, But she talks about how a lot of times we end up falling into this cycle where we are either over-preparing because we're so scared to look like we don't know something or we're procrastinating because then we can claim we didn't try. And so that like imposter phenomenon ends up being what results when we are getting trapped in that, you know, not good enough cycle of either I don't want to try my best and potentially fail or I don't want to go into this being anything less than absolutely perfect. And so if we don't let ourselves feel those moments of like relief of, okay, like this went well, if we internalize all this negativity and let it keep fueling ourselves without ever accepting any positive feedback when things do go well, then of course we're going to feel Like we're just running in circles and only making ourselves feel more like an imposter leading into the next thing. So what do we do about that? Because I think, and I could be wrong, but I feel like everyone has experienced that to one degree or another. Now, some may experience it more or might be more pervasive, as you say, for some people. But for some reason, I feel like everybody experiences this to one degree or another. Absolutely. And one thing that I love to point out when I talk about this, um, when I speak on it and write on it is success is not an off switch for imposter syndrome. Just because you're successful at something or achieving something does not mean that you're necessarily going to feel less of those feelings. However, for me, I think it all goes back to the why. And so I actually have a framework that I use with these six pillars of the reasons behind why we feel like imposters. And so as I 
look at those, I can find tools to go alongside them. One of the pillars that I talk about in the book that was just published, so it's called Things I Wish I Knew, um, and my chapter is on taming the inner critic, because the inner critic is the first of those six pillars for um, the framework that I teach. And so if I want to not feel like such an imposter, but I know that that inner critic is constantly telling me I'm not good enough, then I need tools to combat that. Um, Just like there may be something else that's driving your imposter thoughts. And so as long as we're really trying to get down to what's causing it, then that's going to give us the best chance at kicking us out of that cycle. I really appreciate you talking so candidly about this because there are so many people in my audience who feel like imposters. And how do I describe this? So they feel guilt, they feel shame, for wanting to leave their current bedside role as a therapist, a nurse, whatever uh, position they're in. They want to move away from the bedside, but they feel guilty because this is what I chose. I'm supposed to know what I want to do when I'm 17 or 18. And now I don't know. I don't think this is what I want to do anymore. Or I spent all this money and I have all these loans. And so like almost like they're abandoning their or being disloyal to their chosen career path. So I I just wonder how can they take that next step forward despite those those very real feelings? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And I think that one thing that I always have come back to is that we can't make a system better if the system's not feeling pushed to make a change. So sometimes we can do it from the inside and sometimes we have to walk away in order for that pressure to change to actually be felt. And so if you're in a system that is somewhat malleable and your voice is being heard, great, do it from the inside. But if it's not, and it takes a group walking away and coming back from the outside to shine light on it, that's totally okay too. It doesn't mean that you should feel guilt or shame because you're not a bad person. You know, you're not doing a bad thing. You're doing what's needed to make healthcare better in the long run. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because that's what I coach clinicians to do is, okay, yes, you're stepping away from the bedside and you don't want to be face-to-face with the patient in that way. And that's okay. But you still care and you can still impact the patient, patient safety, patient experience in a different way, if you still want to be in healthcare, right? Okay, I want to be in healthcare, but I don't want to do what I'm doing. There are so many other ways that you can still use your skill set to, to still make an impact. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, this is this is so good. I'm just thinking of all these things I, I could actually, I could just go on and on and on and on. But do you have any other practical tips for people for either how to overcome imposter syndrome or how to step away from that disloyalty that they feel. I'll give you a few of my favorite tools that I I give in the course that I teach and the um, things that I write on imposter syndrome. So one of the things, if you're struggling with that inner critic telling you that you're not enough, that you're not good enough or not strong enough because maybe you don't, you didn't stick it out. You know, the first question I always say to ask is, would 10 out of 10 people agree with me? Because most of the time, the answer is no. When I'm going, oh my gosh, I made a mistake. I 
entered an order incorrectly, like no good clinician would do that. If I ask a group of my peers, 10 out of 10 people are going to confirm that at least the majority have either done the same thing or something really similar before, right? Like we are always our worst critic. And so that's one of the first tips that I always give. Yeah, we are harder on ourselves than we are on someone else. Like if I'm talking to a girlfriend or a family member, I'm going to be much more gracious towards that person than sometimes I am towards myself. Absolutely. And then one other tool that I really, really think is important when it comes to feeling like an imposter, especially is, you know, I I talk about it from the stance of the pillar of like being stuck in a ground view approach. But basically, when you back away, if you can reframe things like regret as a chance to move forward and do better, it changes the way that you feel about yourself. So for me, sometimes I may feel like an imposter or a fake because of a mistake I made, right? But if I can back up long enough to go, you know what though? Like that regret changed me in a good way. That regret gave me the power to reshape who I am moving forward from this point then it's not a bad thing anymore. And I think we get so caught up in focusing on the negative and making it such a hard thing for us to get past because we turn it into this guilt and shame, right? We think about, you know, we did something bad and a lot of times internalize it as almost feeling like we are bad ourselves, making that a shameful experience when there's no need in that. So tell me the name of that pillar again, the second pillar. Ground view is what I call it. So it's actually the fourth of the six that I teach. Okay. Okay. Ground view. So that is stepping back and reframing what we think about regret. And I'm sure maybe some other feelings too, but reframing how we're perceiving that towards ourselves. Right. Because if you're, if you're only looking at it from a ground view approach, think about it like if there's a mountain in front of you and you're literally on ground view, that looks insurmountable. If I can back up and eliminate that ground view, then I'm much more likely to see how far I've come for one, but that it's not impossible at all to get. Oh, I love that. Okay. I get it now. Ground view. Okay. Okay. That makes so much sense. That's really good. I have never heard it like that before. I was really excited when I had that kind of epiphany of that's one of the pillars I need to include when I talk about imposter syndrome, because that encompasses so much of what keeps us stuck feeling like we're fakes. Wow. And I want to come back to that in just a moment, but because I want to talk about your, um, what you teach in your course and your book. But this is the question that I ask everybody. What was your defining point? For me, my biggest defining point was realizing that I don't have to know it all to use my voice. I think that I used to be trapped in that feeling of I have to know everything before I'm allowed to speak up. And once I finally released that, everything changed. Once I finally said, I don't have to know it all. I just have to know a little bit that can help somebody else that maybe is where I was a week ago or a year ago. That's enough. That's enough for me to use my voice. I love that. I don't have to know it all before I get started. Sometimes you figure it out as you take the steps, right? So if we wait till we all have it together, we'll never start. 
Exactly. And I think that, you know, for me, like growing up in a very perfectionist mentality, I used to think to speak on something or to write a book or any of that. Well, I need to have like achieved. I need to have gotten to the end of the path before I can look back. But that's just silly because so many people can benefit from the little bit that I've learned. And of course, there's going to be people ahead of me in the journey and I'm learning from them. But that doesn't mean that there's not people that are going to benefit from what I already know. Yeah, what I what I like to call the messy middle, because you exactly at the end and you're like, oh, my gosh, I could never reach that. But when you see someone in the middle of it who can share, this is the journey up to the point that I am currently, it makes it much more attainable for people. Exactly. Hi, friend. Are you listening to this podcast wondering how you can start your own journey into healthcare quality? Or maybe you've already started, but you're hitting some roadblocks and getting stuck at the application process. Well, my friend, I've got a free resource for you. After you finish listening to this episode, head on over to my website and grab the ebook, Top Three Mistakes Clinicians Make When Transitioning into a Non-Clinical Role. The link will be in the show notes section. Now, enjoy the rest of the episode. Okay, so I want to go back to talk about the work that you do. I know you teach and you were talking about the different pillars. Let's talk about your course. You have a course called the Confident Provider Academy. Tell us about that. So one of my speaking engagements that I was a part of was a really big turning point for me because after I had gotten done presenting on the topic of imposter syndrome, someone for the audience came up and said, I have never had a term for what I feel before. Do you have a class on this that I could take? And I didn't, but I thought maybe I should. Like maybe that is something that there's a need for out there. And so that was kind of where it all started. It stayed in my head and bounced around for a couple of months. And then um, right at the beginning of this year, I went ahead and said, I'm going to get the first iteration on the ground. Um, because like we both, you know, have already said, the messy middle is okay, right? We don't have to have a perfect iteration when we first start something. And so that's what I did. So within that, I talk about a lot of the things that I have used in speaking events before. Are you able to share, like, I'm so excited. Are you able to share the pillars from your course, from your academy? Absolutely. Um, So when I talk about the things that make us feel imposter syndrome, I break it down into these six pieces. So the first is feeling this inner critic voice telling you that you're not enough. So that's the first. The second has to do with how our process of interpreting praise and criticism impacts us. Then I talk about the avatars that sometimes um, come into our minds, things like feeling like a perfectionist. After that, I talk about that ground view approach. So getting stuck on the ground and not being able to take that kind of bird's eye view of everything and getting a real picture. After that, I talk about the problems with if with emotional self-regulation. And if we aren't able to really 
fully know what we feel and process what we feel, how that ends up making us feel more like an imposter. And then the last thing are some saboteurs that tend to show up when we're feeling like an imposter. So for me, one that I really fall victim to sometimes is this pleaser mentality where I feel like if I don't say yes to something, I will never be asked again, or they're not going to like me or those type of things. And so those are the six pillars. I love it. And I think we're so much alike in a lot of different areas. I used to be a people pleaser. And I read this really good book by um, Joyce Meyer called Approval Addiction. And it just changed my whole world. And I still have to be intentional about it. But like you said, I used to, it was so hard for me to say no, because I didn't want somebody to be mad at me. Or I didn't Mm -hmm. want to not be able to be who they thought I was or be able to, I should be able to do all the things. Why can't I do all the things? Everyone else does all the things, right? And it's, it's, it's the work in progress because I have to be intentional about it, but I so relate to what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. I have had to work very, very hard over many years to drop some of that mentality of feeling like I have to say yes and please everybody. Yeah. So how do you, on a day-to-day, when you're reframing, you go back to that ground view that you were talking about where you try to move from that ground view to that bird's eye view to say, hmm, what would someone else who was giving me advice say to me about this? Yes, that's always a great way to do it. And I also have some kind of reframes that I keep ready for myself when I need them. So there's an extremely good book by John Acuff. It's called Soundtracks. And he talks about how we can change the way we think, especially if we pre-choose our thoughts. And so for me, um, one of the things that I've done is for a lot of those things that I tend to feel, I've already pre-written a soundtrack that's an opposite of that thing that makes me get caught up. So like, for instance, if I am getting stuck in that kind of pleaser mentality of if I don't say yes, they're not going to like me. I have to say to myself, this new soundtrack that's basically saying, I truly do not have capacity for this, but I'm competent and I will be asked again. That's really good. Because I like that reframe because you're saying, they'll ask me again. And then for myself, I'm just going to add, if they don't ask me again, then it wasn't meant for me. And that's okay. Absolutely. Because we can't, be and I'm talking to myself here. We can't be everything to everybody. <laughs> no, we can't. And for those of us that have struggled with that kind of pleaser mentality, sometimes we try to be a little too much. Yeah, and I don't know why we do that, but I guess that's part of learning. It's a, it's, a, it's cultural, right? It's the way we are at work, at home. We just don't want to let the ball drop. Absolutely, and I think. Those of us that are in healthcare probably feel that pull more than some other people, right? Because we're so used to needing to say yes for the sake of the good of a patient. And so sometimes we don't know how to say no for the sake of ourselves because we've said yes so many times. That's really, really good because I think that, and I'm so glad you said that, and it just brought another thought to me. Because in in school, when we take our own discipline-specific oaths or you know, whatever we learn in school about putting the patient first and 
our altruism and this is why you get into healthcare and you don't think about yourself. And then that can't help but spill into other areas of our lives because we were always taught that the patient is always right and you just kind of got to suck it up, buttercup, and pull it together because you right now the patient needs you to be whatever the patient needs you to be, right? And we're probably going to give you a shout out if you stayed over two hours to take care of a patient because that's expected because you're supposed to say yes. Man, that's so good. It's so good that you said that, but it's so harsh when you really think about that that's the way we've been conditioned. It is, 100%. Oh my gosh. And that's probably one of the reasons why people are getting more burned out because COVID just really highlighted a lot of this stuff that was going on. But people are to their breaking point almost of, I am tired of not thinking about my own needs. And not from a selfish perspective, but just general mental health, emotional health, physical health, because I'm always putting someone else first that is sometimes even mean to me. Absolutely. And I think like we have to be aware of the fact that we have to take care of our own mental and emotional health first in order to care for patients well. If we're not taking care of ourselves at some point, we're going to drop the ball. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This conversation is so good. So how can, I really want people to be able to connect with you. So how can people connect with you? Well, LinkedIn is a great way. I'm always open to connect with people on there. Um, But I also have a website, which is theresilientfarmd.com. And on that site, you can see links to my book and the course I teach, see where I've spoken and where I'm going to be speaking next. And there's also a top 10 tools download that's there. So there's a free download for anybody that um, pops over. So um, yeah, you can come find me there. Are you open to more speaking engagements? Like is your calendar open? Do people, can people request some of your time as well? Or kind of how does, how does that work? Absolutely. Um, I actually do a decent amount of taking on speaking engagements, especially if they're virtual and helping talk to healthcare systems about things like imposter syndrome and psychological safety and burnout because I am so passionate about it. And so I absolutely am open to booking, you know, a call with your team, your leaders, whoever might benefit from hearing. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Any parting words for the audience? Oh, just remember that momentum is messy and it's okay to feel like you need to make a change and not feel like you figured it out because at the end of the day, we're all still figuring it out. That's so good. Thank you so much for being here, Kate. I have really, really, really enjoyed our conversation and I just love who you are as a person. So thank you for taking the time to be here. Right back at you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the show. It would mean a lot if you would share this episode with a friend or a colleague. I would be honored to encourage them in their journey too. 